Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week, and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription, and your donation will help pay our music license, buy audio gear, and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. Today I am speaking with Fel, best friend and mother to my future son-in-law, mm-hmm. Rex. Uh, Fel and I have been best friends for 21 years or so, or ish. 21 years. Thanks for talking to me today. Oh, so my pleasure. I was thinking I nervous. might start thanking you every time we speak. From now on, for yeah. ev- like ev- every phone call, every, every phone. face-to-face. amazing story to share but before we get into it I'm going to ask you our universal first question. Mm -hmm. If you were stuck on a desert island and you could take a meal, a drink and a personal item, what would they be? Meal, drink, personal item. Meal, um, I'm I'm not Italian so I can't pronounce this properly but aglio, olio o pecorettino spaghettini, so spaghetti with olive oil and chilli and really good parmesan. Um, how, what's the quantity of booze? Like is it one drink <laughs> or not, is it a whole bottle or is it uh, a flagon? It's not duty free. So there's not like a two litre limit. So how much can I, this is, it's essential. You can have it. Well, it's just like a, it's not like a quantity. It's more, this is the only thing you can drink on the island. Forever? From, yeah. Oh. Apart from water that falls from the Verve. sky. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently not that. If I'm there forever, if I die on the island, I don't want Yellow Glen. No. Everyone, I sound like such a wanker saying this. I want really cold, crisp French champagne. Uh, my underarm hairs will be down to the ground. I will be an animal. But you can bathe But I can bathe and drink verve. Great. And I say it because I can't really afford to buy verve, so it's like. Well, it's free on the island. It's free on the island. Yeah. Okay. Personal item, I have a, like, skanky old soft toy yes, called Trampy um, and, I, like, I'm embarrassed to say I'm a 37-year-old woman that sleeps with a, a plush dog every night but I have had him for the past eight years. I had him when I was sick. Yes. And he sleeps with me every night. So you'd take Trampy? It's a comfort thing. Take Trump, Trampy. Yeah, fair. It's like taking a blankie. So am I going to get off the island? I don't Like are we playing a thing that I'm there indefinitely? Yes. Yeah, Trampy. Okay. So there are a couple of bits that I want to talk about. Yep. Um, that I think help make sense of your really difficult pregnancy mm-hmm. and your very difficult physical postpartum yep. period. So in 2009? 2013. Was it? 2009. Mm-hmm. 
Let's do that bit again. <laughs> 2009, I was sitting on a fucking lilo in San Gimignano, <laughs> floating around like a fucking lush bitch, drinking Aperols, <laughs> not in fucking lockdown. So fast forward a couple of years. In 2013, you had a pulmonary embolism. 2014. Dude. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't have my notes in front of me. Okay, I'm sorry. In 2014, I can't smile while I say that. (laughs) (laughs) How many times do you think we're going to re-record this? In 2014, you had a pulmonary embolism. Can you tell me a bit about firstly what that is in Mm -hmm. case people don't know Um, and then what that meant for you, um, what the ongoing physical challenges were for you when you became pregnant with Rex? In 2014, I had a major pulmonary embolism, which is where I was sick for a few weeks thinking it was the end of term and I thought that I had a cold and then flu and I'd had a million misdiagnoses of things like pleurisy and a broken rib and all this stuff. And then it was a clot that formed in my leg that we didn't know I didn't know that I had, that then went to my lung. My lung collapsed and then um, so the clot sort of blew up in my lung and then I went into sort of early stage heart failure and was extremely sick and nearly died. I was in hospital for quite some time, quite a long time, and then came out and sort of had to learn how to do everything again. I think... You know, one thing I talk about a lot, I didn't, because I was on so many painkillers and so much medication in that time in hospital, I didn't realise how bad it was until I heard the doctor say outside the room that I wasn't meant to be alive. And so a lot of post that was sort of getting my head around that and sort of just being grateful to be living. Anyway, um, so you were told reasonably soon after that that if you got pregnant or when you got pregnant, it was going to be challenging. Yes. Why was that? So I was told by my haematologist straight after the PE that at the time that we, you know, considered conceiving that it would need to be an assisted pregnancy. So we'd need to be looking at my blood and all that sort of stuff because obviously I am not a doctor, so any doctors who listen to this, (laughs) please imagine that this is the correct thing. But because of what your body has to do to house and grow a baby and how differently the sort of the properties in your blood or whatever work that I had high risk of clotting again and having nearly died from a clot, we didn't want – like I didn't want to die. That would be rather (laughs) rather inconvenient. (laughs) I've got a lot to do. Um, So anyway, when I got pregnant – I uh, straight away had to go to hematologist and started doing daily injections of blood thinners into my stomach for the whole pregnancy and then for how many months after, six months after having Rex. And just, uh, you know, I was, was told that I had to avoid having a Caesar uh, because of risk of, you know, b- bleeding and well, because you'd been on blood thinners for, you know, yeah. eight months. And that was the whole thing with sort of teaming, t- sorry, timing when the baby was going to arrive, like how quickly I needed to stop blood thinners and stuff like that. And now in a medical profession this is probably quite normal stuff that they take into consideration, but when you're hearing all of this you don't, mm. you know, it all sounds a bit, it all sounds a bit scary. Um, so I was considered high risk from the get-go um, and... And on top of that, then your you got um, well. You did you did end up having a cesarean. I did end up having a cesarean because uh, it was almost like the Caesar was meant to be. I had Rex was huge. He was ginormous. He was the biggest baby in the from world from the get. And I was ginormous. You were massive. I am the biggest. I was the biggest pregnant woman I have ever seen. Yeah, me too. I couldn't drive a car. <laughs> I could it was uh, it was so big. I was carrying a medicine ball. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Um so I was a huge baby. I had placenta previa and I also had 
Um, he was breach, but just not not normal breach. Not that there is a normal breach, FYI, but he was transverse lie. So he's he was just lying sideways as if he's in a ham as if he's in a hammock. Um, so all those things just meant that there was no way I was going to be able to deliver vaginally. And I had a an amazing obstetrician who is known as the Vagina Man, <laughs> and Vagina Man pretty much said to me, he. All he wanted was for me to have a, I don't want to call it natural birth because that's wrong, vaginal birth. Um, and he said in no uncertain terms you're only having a Caesar. I was like, okay. Also your stomach muscles separated. Oh, yes. I had diastasis recti, um, which means, and it's, it's really common, lots of women have it. I had to wear like a stretchy band around my stomach for the whole time, but it's where your stomach muscles separate and there's this gap in the middle and everything's loose. Um, but mine was huge so there was an enormous gap to sort of house my enormous baby <laughs> lying on his side <laughs> and then what did all of those things including um your would you call it a blood condition yes i think so so what are all of those what are all of those challenges that you had throughout pregnancy physically and then your um the kind of consequences of your PE, how did all of that come into play after you had Rex? Well, I still injected myself for the next little while. My stomach, I still don't think, has retur- returned to its thing. Um, it's former glory, would you say? It's, it's, <laughs> it was glorious. You I have always been known for my stomach. <laughs> that is why you'll often see me in a crop. <laughs> I also enjoy a crop. Yes, you do. Mm. But what I like most about how we enjoy our crops is that only in our homes. Uh, Just before we started recording, Fel and I shared some macas (laughs) and then then we went and stood in front of the mirror and timed dropping our fupa. Would you like to explain what a fupa is? My sister is in the medical profession, so this is actually a true medical term. Your fupa is your flabby upper pussy area. (laughs) (laughs) We now, particularly after pregnancy, sport very incredibly impressive fupas. Absolutely. My fupa is nearly as good as my abs. (laughs) I mean, really. So the next part of the story that I want to tell that I think is really, really special and every time I tell it, I, it kind of, I, I don't know how it actually came about. But so Fel um, told me that she was pregnant with Rex. Rex is Fel's first baby. Um, and then a couple of weeks later. I think it was like two weeks later. I discovered that I was pregnant with Juniper, my second baby. Um, and we, we kind of, you know, did all of the apps where you work out your due date. And then it wasn't until we'd both been to our obstetricians. That in the we, same hospital. Yeah, in the same hospital that we worked out we were due on the same day. And that was the 12th of June, 2020. But the 12th of June is also the anniversary of my mum's death. So my mum died nine years ago on the 12th of June. And so for us to be... Pregnant at the same time and then to be due on the same day and that to be the day was pretty remarkable. I would lo- I have been saying this from the start. I would love a statistician to tell us what the odds. We tried Googling and it wasn't very clear. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think my Googling was like a million to one. But quite seriously, how do two best friends fall pregnant, find out they're due on the same day? And that day is really, really symbolic, important. It's ludicrous. The whole thing is ridiculous. But then as your pregnancy, as our pregnancies went on and you found out you had to have a caesarean, mm. um, we knew that you were booked in. Yeah. And we, we assumed as well that you would go extremely early because you'd gone early with Marley. Yes. And so you were booked in nine days early? Yes. Um, and so we'd seen each other that afternoon. Yep. Um, and you looked so nice, which 
What was I? How do you remember what I was? Well, I've got photos, but you had like you did your hair and your makeup, and you were wearing like actual clothes and boots. I wore boots. You wore boots, and I wore a coat that day. And I was wearing a headband. Yeah, I was wearing my black fancy knotted fancy, headband, like Art Deco headband. <laughs> um, yes. and we we joked <laughs> that um, you know, I had to do all of the things to induce labour so that we could have we'd called them the twins, so that we could have the twins on the same day. And then I went home, and I'd had kind of. Um, it's sort of been a bit leaky, very mild leaky for a few days. And so I called the hospital and they said, I'll oh, come in, we'll, you know, we'll check you out. And um, so I had a shower and um, went to the toilet before I was going to go into hospital just on my own to get checked. And, um, and then I stood up from going to the toilet and my water broke. <laughs> and I went, huh, okay. And so I rang... Did I ring you then or did I ring you from the hospital? You rang me from the car? Yeah. And you rang to say, oh, you were Carly. I can't remember. It's the whole thing. I was losing my mind. I knew you were on your way to the hospital and then you called later and said, I'm in hospital. I'm in hospital. I'm in labour. Yes. <laughs> I will never forget that call. I remember I was standing at the fruit bowl because my phone was on charge. You faced, <laughs> We were FaceTiming. Yes. And I was watching you and like, I'll post the photo of Fel and I FaceTiming with me in labour. The ridiculousness of it was that was like six, I think it's six thirty at night or six thirty. Yeah, it was about six thirty, and I remember you saying to me, "You've got to hold on until after midnight. Hold on, (laughs) do not have this baby." (laughs) Because even like if you pair it back, that is ridiculous. I, I I'm from a long line of women in my family who've all gone over. With their baby. So yes. we always assumed that I was going to go one to two weeks over mm. and we always assumed that you were going to go four to six weeks early. So the fact that we were now working with a window of time in which we were potentially having babies, not only just being due on the same date but that actually coming to fruition is madness. Yeah. And so June was born uh, at two-something in the morning and then Rexy was born Eight oh one. Eight oh one. That same morning in the same hospital, and then when we were wheeled up to our recovery rooms, we were opposite each other. In the um, <laughs> we were opposite our opposite rooms with the hallway just between it's us, so um, which was really extra special because we were in stage four lockdown, and during um, Melbourne's COVID pandemic, global pandemic, mm. um. So no one could come and see us. Can we just can we just scroll back for a second yes. as well to think that even sharing our pregnancy during a lockdown that we had no idea how to navigate. Mm. We were and you know it was scary. It was scary back then in the sense that you didn't go into people's houses. We, you know, you wouldn't even risk it. You didn't know mm. what it meant. So we spent most of our days sitting on each other's front lawn mm-hmm. 1.5 metres apart. Like I've got an, photos upon photos of us eating McDonald's in your front garden <laughs> sitting separately and sitting on my front lawn eating biscuits separately. Or oh, walking, just, we, like, we both had very healthy pregnancy diets. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you just scroll through my whole photo <laughs> album, it's me have a the cake, size have a of a house and you with your nipple. <laughs> Eating everything inside, but that was that was all we did. That was literally all we did, wasn't mm. it? Just sat, distanced on lawns, yep. eating. Yeah, very beautiful. Sorry, back to the rooms. Mm, oh well, that kind of that brings us up to speed, I think. And so then, so the twins were born on the same day, third of June, in the same hospital. Carry on. <laughs> Because we were in stage four stage lockdown. Stage four lockdown was the biggest. That was like, I can't remember. We need to get, we need to fact check that. Yeah. It was like a hundred million days. It was so long. Um, so we were smack bang in the middle of that when the twins were born. Yeah. And so you were unable to have family and friend support when you took Rex home. So how did it feel having that experience of bringing home your first baby <sighs> be so vastly different to what you'd imagined? In my head, I imagine that you have your baby and everyone comes into the hospital and you've got a room that's like filled with flowers and people and then you get home and your house is just a revolving door of family. And that sort of 
my house anyway. I've got we've got really good families on both sides that we see a lot. Um, it was so lonely and so isolating. It's weird because on reflection, not having visitors in hospital, I actually think is the best thing that could ever have happened. I really loved it. But I, I wasn't my first. Uh, I loved that part because it was just quiet and still and Rexy came out quiet and still and I kind of felt like that was the right introduction for him into the world. And I think this now, a year on, but I think even up to two months ago I found it really traumatic. Mm. Getting home and having this tiny time with family was so so beautiful to see them but then it was like they were ripped away. And it was just us with curfews, unable to leave for a certain amount of time, trying to learn how to do everything on your own. And whilst you've got FaceTime and calls and stuff like that, it I sounds like I'm going straight to the negative. But like having well, Rex is the mo- having Rex is the most perfect, beautiful, wonderful thing that's ever happened. But it, it was just nothing. I didn't know. I didn't know how to feed. I didn't know what putting a baby down was like. I've had eight nieces and nephews, so I thought that I could do everything. But like you're in your house on your own, like obviously with with my partner, with my husband Johnny, and it's um. Sorry, I'm not being very articulate, but when I think back on it, having a traumatic pregnancy, being in lockdown unable to have mother's group, unable to see people, unable to go to places. It just was the most isolating, depressing, lonely thing ever, which is this weird contrast to this perfect, beautiful, joyous thing that you've got in your arms. And everyone tells you, you know, how lucky, everyone would say how lucky you are. Are you very lucky to have this time just you guys? But I was like four months, four months too long. of not knowing how the fuck to raise a kid. It was, yeah, it was, it was exceptionally lonely. Yeah. And I remember, I remember like the first time, I used to tell you about this, I envisaged that you'd sort of walk out of the house and like go to cafes and things like that and I tried to, when the shops opened briefly, I tried to get into a store with the pram and I realised that I'd never taken a pram into a shop other than the supermarket and I couldn't navigate how to get the door open. Mm. Do you remember me telling you the story? Yeah. And I, it was it was trenery and I tried to open the door and I couldn't get the pram through and I just burst into tears, just burst into hysterical tears. I'm like, I've not done this. I feel like I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm at sea. I don't know. I don't know how to parent. I'm a terrible mum. I can't control the pram and it's stupid stuff but I was so, so sad and I like stepped out of my body and looked at this person who had sort of like a four-month-old well-established child bawling in a shop doorway because she couldn't get the door open. I like it's like I feel, I don't feel sorry for myself but I look at myself now on the outside of that and it's just like everything was a delayed like the whole process of what you do with a new baby felt really delayed. Yeah. Like because I was do, you doing were. everything for the first time between four and six months. And it's this is a nothing. Like I got stuck in a doorway. I don't know why I'm getting sad about it now. But but it's not nothing because. I want to go and pick me up and be like, it's okay. And it is okay. And it's okay that it was that hard. Yeah. Like because I think though, like trying to. Prams are stupid and trying to learn to navigate your pram, even when you haven't been in lockdown, is really hard. And so you had four months of isolation and then in lots of ways I imagine you felt more comfortable and established with Rex, but you hadn't, you didn't in terms of taking him out into the world. Everything, even now, it's quite funny, even now I go, I'm so inflexible when it, you know, everyone's like, make sure you sleep with with a noisy house, and um, you know, take your baby everywhere, and get them used to getting in and out of the car, and and do all that stuff. And it's like I can't, because I've learned the way which is do, you know, don't leave the house, don't do this. You got to go out for one hour. Don't go driving places. There's nowhere to go driving because you. I learned everything in lockdown. 
it's like that stuff now is still really foreign. So even mm. even a year on, taking him in the car and things like that, I still find to be a relatively big deal. I'm like, yeah. right, we're going to pack up this stuff and put you in the car and go to Nana and Papa's or, or go somewhere. And I'm like, this is, you know, like I can't leave when he's sleeping or I – it's just such a, it's such a it's such a weird thing. Um, you know, my sister the other day it's like, let's go to the zoo. It's like, oh, go to the zoo. I could. I'm sorry, I'm not being. I, I'm not no, being articulate at all. It's just it perfectly. A, it's a massive trauma. But that I think back to that doorway thing, and I'm like, this is so silly. It's just it was just getting into a shop, but perhaps navigating the pram was like symbolic of me navigating motherhood. Yes. That, I'm like I'm stuck. I can't get into the shop, and I'm stuck outside. And it's yeah. And all you've got, all you've got are people. Like I had you, I had my mum, my mother-in-law, my sisters. That that are you were oh you are so fucking amazing. Like I actually can't. I don't know what I would have done without you, and how many times you broke the law (laughs) to help me. Like I would just regularly, there would be a cake or a coffee or you on my door. How many times am I going to cry on this podcast? <laughs> just there. And the convenience and the fact that you were my family in that, like I've got two very close families who I adore but I couldn't, couldn't see. Because well, also we're within oh, we're thank a couple God. of k's away from each other. But you were just there. Like you were there with a mask on with Marley and June, and it was like you just were holding my hand and just constantly there, like unwavering, yeah. And I wish that you'd been able to have that from everyone because you so deserved that, particularly because you have been that person for so many of your family members and your friends. But then you, you, we joke about this often because I go, actually, until you have a baby, you don't actually – you think you're doing the right thing. Like I thought that I was You're doing the right <laughs> thing to your best to the best of your knowledge. <laughs> to the best of your knowledge. I think about when you came home with Marley and I was like, Do you want me to be there when you get home? And you're like, Yeah. Oh, that sounds that what sounds nice. And I think back to that. And we're like setting up a heater and like got food and I went and got you dummies and I'm like, I don't think that this is very helpful. Like I thought that going and sitting in someone someone's house when they had a new baby and drinking a cup of tea was appropriate. Now now I'm just like, <laughs> how and why would you do that? So anyway, yes, you say I've been there, been that person for so many people, but pre-baby in a different way. But you yes. just knew because you were a mum. You knew what I needed and what to do. And my my mother-in-law and my uh, other girlfriends and my, my mum knew and did that too through words. Yes. But yours was actions and words and presence and it just it's, it's so grateful for it. I'm very pleased that we could be there for each other during that time because we couldn't see anyone else. Oh, it's crazy. And just after you had Rex, I remember it was very early on, like within weeks, you said to me that you were worried you'd never feel like yourself again. Oh, yeah. How has it been for you? Here's a small question. This is so big. To evolve into a completely different oh. version of yourself. How many hours a day do we discuss this about or think about this? Could you ask it again? How has it been for you to evolve into a completely new version of yourself? The I I can't because you're still you. I, yeah, I'm still me, but I am me in a different sense, and I think. I think that has been the hardest thing. Okay, so I go lockdown was the hardest thing, but perhaps lockdown was the hardest thing because I was going through this evolution, unable to identify what was happening Mm. to me. Um, And it's probably the thing I question most and ask you about the most because I used to just, I'd be in the shower and I'd be bawling and be like, my body feels different, my mind feels different, I still look the same, I have the same interests, I have the same desires, I have the same everything but I I feel so different. It's this balance between old fell and mum fell and working fell and ind- a fiercely independent. I didn't. I no longer felt independent. 
Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it, it's such, it is such a big question. It's a huge question. It's such a big question. So maybe ask me what are the speci- what are the specific things? Well, I'll phrase it this way. How do you, because you're a year, a year in, oh, mm. how do you feel about yourself now? So I, I had my maternal health appointment, my one-year maternal health appointment the other day on Thursday. And I, no joke, think that when Rex turned thirt- uh, like one year and one week, something has shifted in my brain. Like, I mean, I think that this is like within a matter of weeks I feel different. Mm. And it's that I was saying to them, she said, oh, well done you. She's like, you made it. And you said the same thing and Noodle said the same thing and my mum said the same thing. I'm like, you made it. What do you, like, she's like, the first year, everything changes once they're a year. And I honestly was like, I no longer feel like I'm at sea. Mm. I'm at sea with my emotions and I'm at sea with constantly saying I'm a bad mum and I can't do this and I can't do that. And why Um, did you you feel like you're a bad mum? I say to myself I'm a bad mum nearly every day. But you're a wonderful mum. And and I inherently know that. I know that because I've got this fat, joyous, happy, healthy baby. And I, it's funny. I question myself on being a bad mum that I that I worry too little. I say this to you all the time. I'm like, I've called the maternal health nurse <laughs> once <laughs> and I've taken him to the doctor once in a year because I'm always like, should I should I worry more? Should I be? He's got a rash covering his whole body, and he's screaming. I'm not worried. Is there? Should I? Should be, I be? Should I be? <laughs> um, he hasn't slept for four weeks. Is this a worry? Is this a, like I often will question myself on that. I, t- I tell myself I'm a bad mum every day. I go to work. Every day I walk out of the house and go to work. I tell myself about I'm um, I'm a bad mum for leaving him. And as I'm sitting there and feeding him when he goes to sleep at night and holding him and like. Oof wanting to eat his head, I'm like, this is not enough time and my bad mum that I'm away from him. And then I think about every mum and who has ever left their child to go to work or not to go to work or has had to try whatever. But you're I'm also like, showing him that, that women work. I have a – I was told that when I went back to work – that do it, like do it for him, you will be a better mum, my personality, you will be a better mum because of it. And I now, Mm. now that I'm past that year and feel more confident in who I am and leaving and all that sort of stuff, I now know hands down I'm a better mum because I go to work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, let's let's talk about work. Yeah, you'd originally taken a year off for Matt leave, yep. and then when Rick when Ricks when Ricks when Ricks, when Ricks was, six was weeks old, yeah. <laughs> this is so insulting to. <laughs> so I'll cut that right out. Then when Rex was six weeks old, you applied yes. for a promotion. massive massive position. Yeah, um, and you got it, yeah. which we all knew you would, uh, but it meant that you went back to work when he was eight months old. Yes. So can you tell me about that process okay. and how it's been? I love my job so much. A lot. I have an unhealthy love for my job. I'm a teacher. I, 
go before kids every single day, I have just a strong belief in just the value and purpose of teaching and looking after young people. And I was fortunate to be in two very good positions when I went on um, mat leave and also, look, I was ready to go on mat leave by the end because we I had taught online being so heavily pregnant for a term. Taking that year off, missed work, actually missed work when I was uh, – look, I think if it wasn't for lockdown, I would have taken that year. Who knows? Yeah. I think I would have, but I think because being forced into isolation, I wasn't using my brain the way it needed to be used. Like I found myself wanting to like read and learn and do stuff when I was sitting there licking the walls with my beautiful baby. So I wanted a challenge. I wanted a really big challenge. On top of On top of a new mum? Becoming a new mum in in a pandemic. <laughs> so when the You're position not challenged kept, enough. No, I'm not challenged enough. Exactly. So it's like I don't actually know how to raise a child and I'm locked in my house. So what more should I do? I should I'll go for a like a really big position. Work. So the position was is it wasn't his head of our girls' school. So looking after a lot of students in a fairly significant position of leadership, applied for it, got it, didn't give it much thought until I was in it. So going back to work with an eight-month-old was felt like madness. I felt alive mm. doing my job and then I felt constant guilt once I got home. But well, it, at work, and I kind of, this sounds demented, but I kind of made a deal with um, Johnny and my mum and my mother-in-law. It's like, don't contact me during the day unless you have to. Yeah. So I had originally thought that I'd be someone that was like, send me pictures, send me pictures, do this. And I was like, no, I have to divide the two lives. Yeah. Separation of which, church and state. Yeah, which makes me feel like like some sort of psycho Angelina Jolie, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, oh, not Angelina Jolie, but, you know, like those hardcore women that are just, like, I show no emotion. It's not that you don't show emotion, though. No, I just had to sep- I had to divide the two. And well, when because I was it's hard to-, to do. I think it was actually you that said this to me, and I don't know who'd said it to you, but you said... Women can have it all. They just can't have it all at the same time. No. No, you can't. And that is I'm a, I am ai do too much. I'm a big believer in doing a lot and trying to please a lot of people and have a lot on my plate and it's impossible. Hmm. It's impossible. So it's about that's why for me I have to like cut my brain and personality two ways and I go I've got mum fell and I've got working fell and I'm going to say like there's there's also all the other there's like friend and a partner and everything in there but uh, like I remember trying to I tried pumping uh, I tried expressing for the first few weeks and I was like at work and I'd have my phone with like videos and pictures of Rex I would be sitting there in the quiet room trying to manually pump because I never used a a, what's it called an electric uh Absolute insanity. <laughs> so manually pumping, getting RSI, like furiously <laughs> scrolling pictures of Rex. I'm like crying out of my left eye, like twitching with my right eye. I can hear girls outside the quiet room being like, what have you got next? Have you got the English chest? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And I found myself then sobbing because I'm like, I am so stressed. I'm trying to pump for 15 minutes and there's like one drop of milk coming out except my boobs are exploding Anyway, I gave that up and then was like, right, now I feel sort of empowered to have, have the two two autonomous worlds and that worked for me. But it was incredibly difficult that first term and fairly difficult the second term and now I feel like I'm getting, Stella's getting her groove back. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you went from being with Rex 24-7 mm. with really minimal external visitors. Yeah. Um, to seeing him for a couple of hours a day, Monday to Friday. Yep. How's that been? Oh. Um, do you know the Do you know the person who is fine in all of this? Rex. He's fine. Of course, he's fine. He's completely fine, and because I he's say the th- most loved <laughs> baby. 
He's surrounded. Sorry, I will let you tell the story. But no, it's, you sit tell it better than I do. So he is. This is a this is the thing. I had him twenty four hours a day, like a koala, attached to me. I wouldn't let it. Like I wouldn't even put him on the ground. I just like he permanently attached to me. I love that child in such an unhealthy, in such a healthily unhealthy, amazing way. Full body love. Full body love. Um, so it was kind of like this doesn't sound too weird, like giving birth to him again in a different way. Oh, that's an amazing way to put it. Like like I've brought him into the world and nurtured him, and not just me, like it's, you know, me and Johnny and my family, you know, like it's, it's he's been nurtured by everyone, but really, you know, the bond between a mother and their child, you can't, you can't really describe no. unless you live it, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, so... We were attached and then it was like birthing him to the real world, mm. to what it was really like and being touched by other people and being and, – and also I had that mentality that's like, oh, that, can, that surely could only really be me. So I had to hand him over with the knowledge that I have to be okay entirely with how he's going to be raised when I'm not there. And I think that's the one thing that I've done – exceptionally well in this process is that I hand him over every day with full trust in the people who are looking after him. So his grandparents and Johnny, I implicitly trust everything that they're going to do. So I don't care when he goes down to sleep and I don't care what he eats and I don't care how dangerous the play is or whether he's being fed something that he shouldn't be fed because I have to trust in the process that's going to enrich his life and fill him with love and experience and stuff like that. So I think part of that, and I I say this with more wisdom now, honestly, because it's after a year. Mm. If you had have asked me this question two months ago, I would have a vastly different answer. So how am I doing from having him attached to me to not? The first well, he's not not attached. Oh no, to no, you. but you know, you know, the first term was the hardest ten weeks of my entire life, mm. I think. But I still had that trust, and that's what made it okay. Mm. And I think if it, if I didn't, if I was thinking about what was happening, and but like I cry, I cry on my way home. I used to cry on my way home every single day, or cry on my way to work, and be like, "What am I doing?" So I, I'm 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 okay now, but I don't think I was at the time. Mm. Feel free to dissect and clinically analyze. There is no <laughs> question of. No, no, I know. It's. I think how you've done it is phenomenal, and how, um, like you just said, you've really, and it took you a while to get there, of course, because I think any change, particularly in parenting, is massive. Yeah. But you've really handed yourself and your family over to the change. It's hard not to you've be surrendered super to possessive it. because you because oh. I I'm split personality with this where I'm like I want to be I want to be Rex's number one like you know I want to be his number one person. I want to be the person he wants the most in the world. I want to control every situation. I want to like I long to be a free-loving hippie, but I'm not. I have a control issue and I'm aware of it. Marley asked my sister the other day, she said, I love you. Are you my best friend? Oh. Are we like, and I was like, fucking no, hell, you're not. I'm your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I you said to Carly. And Leith was like, no, you're her mum. And I'm like, and, and best and friend? And best friend and soulmate. Yeah. Um, so I get it. Yeah, and that's a thing. So, that, But then I go, he missed out on... He missed out on the first half of his life with people mm. and the people who love him the most and they missed out on that and to deprive, for me to control that bonding experience is wrong. So I think mentally handing him, birthing him over to his new world. That's a beautiful way to put it. It's, the, it's how I've resolved it in my head 
in a really lovely way. It's a beautiful way. Because I've not go, heard how, you say it like that before. I think it that's just like it's a fir- that's the first time I've like verbalized it, but that's what I've done in my that's what I say to myself in my head that it's like it's his it's his second birth, birth into into what the real world is. Because we lived in Australian, it, we lived in an alternate universe when he was born. You said a couple of weeks ago to me that it took eleven weeks of being back at work before you took back control. Mm. So, control of what? Firstly, I think I teach acting, I teach drama, I teach performing arts. I think the first eleven weeks of returning to work with a small child post-pandemic in a an exceptionally difficult job where I day-to-day manage other people's business, education, life, emotions, learning needs, parents, everything, to come home to, you know, raise a child and be a wife and be a friend and be a daughter and stuff like that. In amongst all of that, the one person who... I, who was spitting out of control with me. I felt like my bra- I didn't know how to use my brain. I felt like I was a basket case. I was crying all the time that I was a terrible mum, that I was a bad worker, that I hated my body. Uh, and I think I was saying this to you last time, that I would look at my body and go, you amazing woman, that body has given birth to a child. You've carried a f- full hippo of a child. <laughs> You have injected it every single day. You have had it stretched. You've had all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, you're a warrior. And then I'd be like, I hate my body and I hate my brain and I didn't sleep. And so I think getting to the end of that was a sort of mental celebration that I actually survived and I could do it and a realisation that I can be all those things things I can be a mum and I can be a wife and I can be and they can all exist and they can all function but I have to look after my I have to actually look after myself a bit so I made the worst mistake of my life and spent my whole first school holidays going to 17 different locations um ending up with the baby in hospital then getting gastro and that was you learn from this stuff so I was like, I'm going to have maximum rex time in my holidays and take him to all these places and do this stuff. And I was like, I nearly killed myself. So going back into this term was really, really stressed out of my mind. Mm. And now I've gone, I'm doing nothing. I'm going to hang with him and just get back to who we really are. Which is nice too that you get those like solid chunks of oh, time. It was so good. Throughout the year. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to get off your chest or put out there into the universe about being a mum or what that's been like for you. Can I ask you that question first? I suppose, well, my answer to that question is um, heavily entrenched in what I'm doing at the moment with my life, Mm. um, which is quitting my job and starting this podcast. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. I'm so impressed with you. <laughs> um, when I when I had Marley, um, who's three now, after she was born, I really wanted to find a way to support and help new mums because even if you've seen a thousand people go through it, it is totally different when it happens to you and <laughs> – I know that we have a lot of support. You know, your partner's really supportive and you might have family and friends, but it's it's there's still so much that's not spoken about. Oh. And for me, I knew that I had this intense mental battle within myself when I had Marley. Mm. It's like I fought myself on everything all the time and it would infuriate me that I couldn't have a shower wash my hair, oh. dry my hair, GHD my hair mm-hmm. in in one sitting. It would okay. take me like a whole day this to do very that. very helpful. And it used to just drive me insane yep. and I couldn't, I couldn't work out why. Yep. And if 
I know that we've spoken before that no one can warn you really about no what you go through. You, they, we realise this. You can't. You cannot tell a pregnant woman what this experience is going to be, like the shit stuff. Yeah. The shit stuff that we all live with. You can't tell someone that. A, they're not going to believe you. Mm. B, they can't physically feel it. See, you're an a-hole if you actually say to someone, by the way, oh, you're pregnant. Hey, guess what? It's all downhill for for quite a while. There's going to be some really, really lovely moments that you'll post about on Instagram and you'll put the Clarendon filter on and, God, it will look great, but at home you will eat 1,400 pods in one sitting, say fuck you to your husband silently as he walks past and hate your body. Yeah. Have and fun. want your old life back. But... Congratulations. <laughs> it's really beautiful. Yay. Make sure you sleep whilst the baby sleeps. Don't worry about having a messy home. Don't do the, the mess can look after itself later. People say some oh, people really say some unhelpful Really things. unhelpful things. Sorry, I cut you off. but I No, just, no, but it wasn't. It's a, so true. A huge part of um, where my idea to do this podcast came from was you and in uh, several other very close girlfriends who all had your first babies mm. when I had my second. And it wasn't – I couldn't articulate what I'd gone through mm. until I heard all of you talking about it. Do you remember when we were talking and I I was chatting – I remember distinctly where I am. I'm in my car at the end of Kerford Road and you had Marley and she would have been six months old. And I used to call you at 5pm every single night yeah. on my way home from school, which I now realise I would no more answer my phone at 5pm than fly to the moon. <laughs> and you answered your phone. And I was like, hey, how are you going? <laughs> what have you been doing today? Just on my way home. I go to the wine bar tomorrow. And I remember your voice just, you were like, yeah, I can't talk. Yeah, good. How's, how, you were like, how's your life felt? Yeah, I'm just really struggling with Marley sleeping at the moment. And now that I... Think back to your sleep experience with Marley when she was, was a horrific. young baby and how awful it was and I had no idea and I was calling you at five and you were still answering your phone and taking my call and we were chatting like things were normal. And I used I to do, do it every day. No, and I used to do the same thing to Noodle. You don't know and it wasn't my fault. No. And it wasn't. It's definitely not your fault but it was that thing of once I had Rex, I said to you, oh, my God, I now realise what you were living. And you said the first 18 months were the hardest. You've lost a parent and you still said that the first 18 months of having a child was like one of the hardest times in your whole life. And I think about when Auntie, who came to your door? Susie. Auntie Susie. And she said, have you surrendered yet? It was one of the best things anyone's ever said I to me. I think about it all the time. And you said it before and that, like that turning point, you go, not enough women talk about it and you couldn't have talked to me about the hardships the way you can with someone potentially who's had a baby. Well, I couldn't articulate it. Yeah. You, you've been incredibly articulate. I wonder, I try to, th- I think about this often because you, and Noodle have both said from the start, which has always made me feel really good, um, thank you for being so honest with how you're feeling. And I was like, why are you both always thanking me for, like, having a really awful night or having mastitis or not being able to <laughs> feed and I'd text you, I'd be like, I'm uncontrollably bawling and I don't know why and my boob hurts and blah, blah, blah. And you would, you know, you would say to me all the time, you're like, well done, that's really honest or thank you or I understand or that must be really tough or that's awful. And I think because there was no shame in it and not that there should ever be shame in it, but I think a lot of mums mm. think that they have to be great from the get-go mm. or they're a bad mum and I just, you know, I'm contradicting myself because I said I, I still tell myself I'm a bad mum, but if your baby is loved, yeah, then that's all you need to do. Well, I think the the very – my answer to your question, my question, your question, mm. is I would like mums to know that they're not going crazy. I would like them to know that 
it's okay that when your baby won't sleep, you are sitting there thinking, I am going to fucking implode on myself if you don't go to sleep. It is – there is this motherly rage that you feel that is unlike anything else. And it's not that you're mad at your baby or sometimes you're mad at – I've been mad at Rex before. Oh, no, I've definitely been mad at at June and Marley. But, like, often it's just this frustrating feeling or, you know, you might – resent your partner or you might say horrific things to yourself about yourself. Yeah. And you're okay. It's okay. Yeah. And there is also a massive spectrum between, um, you know, what you perceive as perfect Instagram life and the darkest depths of postpartum depression. Yeah. There is a huge spectrum within that that a lot of people fall within. That no one talks about. No. And that's the part that messes with you the most because I had zero issue with the concept of, not zero issue, but if I perhaps had postpartum depression. Mm. I would tell myself a lot when I was having really low points. I'm like, I've definitely got it. I must have postpartum depression Mm. because I can't stop crying Mm. or I – and I know I'm in murky water here because I'm like – it's like whatever your response to your mental, physical responses is your your story and your thing. But this this middle ground Mm. is not spoken about and the freedom to be able to openly – cry and say, am I going crazy? I resent my partner. I I resent my baby a mm. bit for coming in and this beautiful blue-eyed thing that's smiling at me has stopped me from doing everything that I love doing, even though I wanted him so desperately. Yeah. I'm like, why am I holding it against a little a little innocent thing? You awful, awful woman. Been- and then you go round and round and round until you just i think being a mum is two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways yeah what's something that someone said to you or that you would now say to someone else that's empowering can i have a few sure you have as many as you want okay so the first one that this is my mum my mum saying this to me all the time and my mum doesn't mince her words and she just said, back yourself. Just back yourself on everything. Yeah. But like, what, what does that actually mean? She's just like, just say yes. So if you think that you can't do something, just just try it and tell yourself you can. Mm. And I'm like, that sounds so cheesy and just so something that, you know, like a sports coach would say, just back yourself, just back yourself. But I'm like, when I'm putting him to sleep, just the patience to just keep going, I can do this. Mm. Um, the big one used to, used to say this to me all the time and you'd preface it with, I know that this is a wanky saying mm. and we hate people who say these sort of things. And I it's like it's like seeing that thing that says keep calm and carry on. <laughs> I I physically <laughs> recoil when I see that thing. But I also don't love this expression, but I love it. Which is this too shall pass. It's so true. And when you are in that peak moment of your baby is uncontrollably crying or you are walking I talked to you about the day that I, because it was lockdown, I just walked and I walked. I had a really awful day with Rex and I was really struggling. And I just walked and walked and walked and he cried and cried and cried and I found myself in the median strip on Kerford Road just nuzzling him. And I thought, this too shall pass. This isn't going to last forever. I'm not going to be here at 7pm tonight sitting in a three-degree day <laughs> in the median strip in Kerford Road. And when he's teething and it's and he's having a really hard time, I go, "This is not going to. This might not be the case in five days from now." Mm. And then when he's smiling and giggling and playing and clapping and stuff, I'm like, "This might also not be the case <laughs> tomorrow." But God, enjoy it right now. Yeah. And actually, this two show pass makes you think about all the really wonderful times as well, which mm. out significantly outweigh hard times, mm. but. Everything is temporary. 
Yes. And I cannot understand how I've made it to a year and all those things felt like they were they were going for months. Like a sleepless patch was it felt like six months when really it was three nights in a row. Yeah. So these two show pass. Um the other thing I think about all the time is that it's like motherhood, the concept of like a snow globe or a snow dome that you get from souvenir shops that has got a perfect world in a perfect little setting and someone comes along and picks it up and says, hey, look at this beautiful snow globe and and like profusely (laughs) shakes it and tips it upside down and the snow's going everywhere and it's whirling around and that is what motherhood feels like where everything's fine everything is settled and you understand you bring this beautiful child in the world that's about to enrich your life and make it so much better except it comes with a flurry a storm that is not necessarily a bad storm it's just all the well, sometimes shit it's amazing shit storm. <laughs> sometimes it's a shit storm some it's a beautiful like lovely storm and there's stuff everywhere but when you put the snow globe down on the surface everything settles and you have all the little bits just fall into place and sometimes not in the right place, but it does settle. Yeah. And I think that's these two shall pass. It's, it will and it will all be okay, but you just sort of have to weather the storms. Weather the storms. And I sound like I actually, I can hear myself, and it sounds like I'm being quite, I'm talking about the negative sides of what motherhood and parenting and all that stuff has been. I feel like in this time I've spoken a lot about the hardships rather than the joys, but I think that this is the thing. The joys are are always there. Yes. Rex is the joy. Life with Rex is the joy. Mm. He's the most perfect, beautiful thing. I can't I I have to stop myself from licking like licking his head <laughs> when I'm nursing him. I guarantee you I'll breastfeed him till he's in your eight. Yeah. I am <laughs> It's so perfect and so be- – no, it's not perfect. It is so beautiful and so wonderful. But if I had not had the space and ability or you to be able to get through that experience, it would be a lie. Yeah. So it would all be perfect but – But I think um, – I, do, I don't think that this conversation's been as negative as – as you might feel like it's been. No, I it's think it's more reflective. It's And I think the thing is the more we all talk about this stuff more openly mm. and the more the conversation is normalised, the better everyone will feel about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we won't feel as alone. We won't beat ourselves up about it as no. much because we'll understand that a, a lot of people go through it. There is a beautiful, I think it's Common Wild or Get Your Mama or one of those Instagrams and it's that picture of the woman breastfeeding at night mm. and looking yes. out. And you, so you're looking at just her window yes. and her in the window breastfeeding. It's Common Wild. Common Wild. And then the next picture, are all the windows lit up in not just the neighbourhood but in the... It goes out to the world. It goes out to the world. And I think if you were to summarise this experience in one image, Mm. that's it. Yeah. Because you feel like you're going it alone because you can't not, no matter how perfectly supportive and incredible your partner is, Mm. the physical, primal, guttural, emotional, psychological approach to having a child so often feels like it's just you and them Mm. and so then that that photo that sorry that drawing just is like there are millions upon millions upon millions of people doing this and I would guarantee a part of every single one of those women feels the same yep yep thanks for talking to me I'm Daryl Kerrigan That's my story. (laughs) Thank you to my best friend, Phil, for chatting with me today. 
In the show notes, there is a link for Panda. If you're a parent and you feel like you need some support, they're an excellent resource. There is also a link from Beyond Blue on how to support parents during lockdown. At the time this episode is being released, there are still various states of lockdown happening all over Australia. Mummification is produced and hosted by me, Brody Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.